podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Monday the 15th of November, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLPOD, E-P-L-P-O-D, to get 50% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, folks, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you will find on Etsy. Right, folks. So, international break, boring as ever. However, the mighty Republic of Ireland, in tremendous form over the last few days. You have to love it. We've been great. I'm taking personal credit for this because Cousin Jeff was outstanding yesterday. Um, No, not really. Um, Yeah, so Ireland drew with Portugal, uh, which obviously mentioned on the the last podcast on Friday. Uh, Cristiano had a little bit of a sulk after that one. And he's having an even bigger sulk right now because Portugal lost to Serbia and do not qualify directly from the group. From Group A... Serbia topped the group. They have qualified for the World Cup, and congratulations to them. Portugal finished second. They go to the playoffs. Ireland, with their resounding victory over Luxembourg, uh, they finished third. They go nowhere, but look, they finished the the group on a bit of a high. Uh, A a good away win. We'll ignore the quality of opposition. Uh, The draw with Portugal, we'll definitely take that one. They beat Azerbaijan 3-0, 1-1 uh, draw with Serbia. So four results in a row that we're going to take real, real hope from. And we're going to move forward on a four-game run of good results. And the Azerbaijan at home result, not great. But it is still five unbeaten in World Cup qualifiers, which, considering how bad Ireland have been for a number of years, will take. And you factor in... Should have beaten Portugal in Portugal. 1-0 up right into the last minute. Cristiano should have been sent off earlier in the game. He scores two late goals. We'll take that. We'll take that. But we're 5-1 beaten. And we contributed to Cristiano having a bit of a cry. So I'm very happy with that from a personal point of view. Um, In Group B then, in this break, Georgia beat Sweden 2-0. Really poor result for Sweden. And really scuppered their their campaign. Uh, Spain beat Greece. Then Greece and Kosovo drew 1-1 and Spain beat Sweden 1-0. So Spain topped the group. They're up away to the World Cup and Sweden head into the playoffs. Disappointing for the Swedes. If they had beaten Georgia, they would have only needed a point from the game against Spain. Um, and at that point, you know, maybe they just sit out and park the bus or whatever. But it is what it is to the qualifiers they go. In Group C, we still have one game left. In the last round, Italy played Switzerland and drew 1-1. Northern Ireland beat Lithuania 1-0. Today, we have Northern Ireland versus Italy and Switzerland-Bulgaria. So Italy and Switzerland tied at the top of the group. It's one of them to go through, one to the playoffs. Switzerland have the easier game, but Italy have a plus two goal differential. So that is a boost to them. And in the head-to-heads, it's level. It, they 1-1 in Italy, 0-0 in Switzerland. 
So it may well just go down to goal difference. I think it's goal difference. It would go to the next. But regardless, if Italy go and win the game against Northern Ireland, unless Switzerland hammer Bulgaria, Italy will probably qualify as group winners. Now, Northern Ireland are making all the right noises, suggesting that Italy will give them chances. I think that may be more in hope than actual expectation. But the best of luck to the Northern Brethren. Can't get through, but you can finish third. Um, You'll finish third regardless unless Bulgaria uh, pull off a good result against against the Swiss. Uh, Moving on then to Group D. France topped the group and have qualified for the World Cup. Finland are second. Ukraine are third. Bosnia and Herzegovina are fourth. It is between Finland and Ukraine for the last game. Now, Ukraine play Bosnia in Bosnia tomorrow. Finland play France in Finland, in Helsinki, tomorrow. Maybe France rest some players, and maybe the Finns get the draw that should send them through. But if not, you do think you'd have to look at it and think Ukraine have the easier game there. Even though Bosnia will be no pushover, a Ukrainian win and a Finnish defeat will put Ukraine on their way to the playoffs. Group E then, Belgium are top and through. Wales are currently second. And the Czech Republic are third. Now, both Wales and the Czechs will go through to the playoffs here as things currently stand. Uh, It's just a matter of in which order. Uh, Belgium as group winners. We have two games left. The Czechs against Estonia and Wales at home to Belgium, both tomorrow night. Group F, Denmark, the team of qualifying so far. Nine wins from nine games, 30 goals scored, only one conceded against the Faroe Islands, which is, you know, part of the kingdom of Denmark. Um, In the final round of games, which is today, Austria play Moldova, Israel play the Faroe Islands, and Scotland play Denmark. Scotland will be the playoff team. Austria are going to the playoffs as well via the Nations League by the looks of it. And Denmark are through as group winners. So it's pretty much set as things go. Denmark, Scotland and Austria advancing Denmark directly through to the World Cup. And they have been brilliant. They really have played some great football. It's like they took the way they were treated in the Euros personally, uh, channeling their inner inner Michael Jordan, and they've just gone on a rampage to their qualifying. In Group G, the Netherlands are top, two points clear of Turkey, who are level on points with Norway, but have a better goal, goal differential. One game left, three games to play. There tomorrow night, it's Gibraltar against Latvia. Montenegro against Turkey and the Netherlands against Norway. Not looking good for Norway. Not looking good for Norway, it must be said. You would imagine that Turkey will get a result against Montenegro. And then if they get a draw in that game, Norway need to beat the Netherlands. If they win, Norway can't do anything other than beat the Netherlands and knock the Netherlands out of the World Cup qualification. But the Dutch have been been quite good so far. Did just want to highlight, though, uh, the Netherlands played Montenegro the other night and somehow, somehow came from 2-0, uh, Montenegro came from 2-0 down late on to get the draw. And certain elements on Twitter, we'll call them elements because they don't really deserve to be called much else, uh, took to social media to try and pin the blame for this on Virgil van Dijk and use their comedic names, Virgil van Disney, uh, Virgil van Delegate, all of these things because they're very jealous that their club doesn't have a central defender who could lace the guy's boots. Uh, so let's, let's recap on the goals. The first goal, it's a transition. Netherlands had been attacking. Ball was turned over off a set piece. They're chasing back. Van Dijk stops and sets the line, calls the line, hand in the air, engages the ball carrier. 
one of his fellow defenders decided that holding the line wasn't for him and dropped five yards deeper. And in doing so, allowed a very simple ball to be played into a channel. A runner from midfield wasn't picked up. Van Dijk still had his man. No problem. But the runner from midfield who wasn't picked up gets on the end of a pass and scores. Somehow that was Van Dijk's goal. And apparently the second one was as well. Even though it's a cross into the box, he's marking somebody else. And one of his fellow defenders gets out jumped. And apparently that's his fault as well. So just to make everybody aware, any goal conceded by a team that contains Virgil van Dijk is Virgil van Dijk's problem. Twitter told me that this weekend, so I thought I'd share that good news with all of you. Uh, Into Group H, Croatia are top, Russia are second. Croatia qualify for the World Cup. Russia go into the playoff. Only one point between them. Croatia beat Russia 1-0 on Saturday. No, Sunday to secure that top spot, an 81st-minute own goal. You'd be a little bit sick if you were the guy that scored the own goal. Uh, Slovakia 6, Malta 0, and Slovenia 2, Cyprus 1, but a little too late for those two. Both put up you know, good showings of themselves, but they will not be partaking in the next World Cup. In Group I, England are top. England are almost certainly going to top the group and advance to the World Cup. Poland will finish second. Uh, otherwise, it would if England got heavily beaten and Poland won by a good margin, Poland could top the group, but that's not going to happen because England are playing San Marino and will most likely win quite comfortably. Uh, Poland play Hungary. That should be a good game. And Albania will play Andorra. There was some good football played in this group over the weekend. Uh, Poland beat Andorra 4-1. England beat Albania 5-0. And I know it's only Albania, but at the same time, the the positives for them. Harry Maguire, who's been a disgrace this season, he scored. Roy Keane is correct when he says he shouldn't do the fingers of the year thing. Because scoring for England doesn't wipe away your performances for Manchester United. Harry Kane got a hat-trick. Spurs fans should take heart from that because it shows Harry Kane still exists, just not for you at the minute. But if Conte can get him turned round, that player that's been so good for so long is still there. Jordan Henderson with a goal and assist, another who's been dreadful this season. Again, you can say it's only Albania and I'll say fair enough, but do remember, Albania have never conceded five goals in the first half of the game before. And it's the first time they've been beaten by five clear goals in like a decade. So credit to them. Albania have grown substantially, even though a lot of the great Albanian players ended up playing for Switzerland and countries like that because of, you know, the the dispersion of Albanians throughout Europe um, in the early 90s. Uh, Hungary 4, San Marino 0. Dominic Saibalai was the only reason to watch this game. He was brilliant. Scored an incredible goal. He is going to be a spectacular player. So do just keep an eye for him. If you haven't been watching Leipzig this season, I highly recommend it. No longer the confusing, overly complicated Nagelsmann team. This is the Jesse Marsh era. And things are a lot more simplified. And he's getting more out of Dominic. A lot more out of Christopher and Kunku. I think we'll see a lot more of Danny Almo as well. And they're just a ton of fun to watch. Uh, Group J, Germany top and qualified with North Macedonia finishing second and advancing to the playoffs. Uh, Germany beat Armenia 4-1 on uh, yesterday. Romania beat Liechtenstein 2-0 and North Macedonia beat Iceland 3-1. Iceland finishing second from bottom. Disappointing for them considering how good they'd been a couple of years ago. But that is a a country and a a footballing nation currently mired in quite a lot of controversy. Uh, So, you know, maybe maybe masters of their own demise a little bit. Uh, Finally then, into the qualifying round, how to look at this. So, there are, as things stand, there are 10 teams in the qualifying bracket. Now, 
a couple of these aren't yet decided. But for now, we've got Portugal, we've got Russia, we've got Switzerland, Sweden, Poland, Wales, Scotland, North Macedonia, Turkey and Finland. Uh, Turkey and Finland still yet to, to confirm their qualification. Uh, the seeded teams are Portugal, Russia, Switzerland, Sweden, Poland and Wales. Um, Portugal and Russia are the seeded teams in part one. The Czech Republic, Scotland, Sweden and Wales will be seeded in either part one or part two. And as things stand, Austria and North Macedonia, who have confirmed their qualification, they will be unseeded in part two. So we're looking now for the unseeded teams in part one, which as things stand would be Turkey and Finland. So we get two semifinals. A seeded team versus an unseeded team, a seeded team versus an unseeded team, and then a final. This is in each pot. Um, so we will get two teams from the 10 teams. A lot of good football to be played. A lot of good football to be played. So let's let's just surmise that it's Portugal versus Finland and Russia versus Turkey. They could be decent games. They could very well be decent games. But like I say, there's still a lot of games to be played. Still a lot of games to be played. You've got you've got path A, path B, you've got four four different paths. So four teams will go through. I'm wrong. Four teams will go through. Um, the following suspensions will be served during the second round qualifying matches. So, João Canseo and Renato Sanchez will miss out for Portugal in the next game. Alexander Golovin and Fedor Smolov will miss out for Russia. Zlatan and Emil Kraft will miss out for Sweden. Elif Elmas and Tihamor Kostadinov will miss out for North Macedonia. Ilmas is a big blow. He's he's a very good midfielder. Joe can say it was a huge blow for the Portuguese. A lot of talk around the Portuguese at the moment, actually, because a lot of people saying it's unacceptable for them to not win the group with the talent they have available and that perhaps it's time for Fernando Santos to move on. He has been the national team manager now for seven years. And his style of play doesn't really win over many many people it's a little bit tough on the eye at times and people have made the point that with that much attacking talent you really shouldn't be playing football of you know such a poor quality and it is hard to argue I mean when you look at a team that could say go Zhao can say a right back Nuno Mendes left back Ruben Diaz and Jose Font say at centre back uh, in midfield you've got Bruno You've got Bernardo, you've got Ronaldo Sanchez, Ruben Neves, Germatinho. There's a lot of talented players there. And then up front, you've got Cristiano, obviously. Andre Silva, Rafael Leao, Goncalo Guedes, Diogo Jota, João Felix. Others who are not currently in the squad, Pedro Cancalves, Pedro Neto, Francisco Trinquiao. There's a lot of talent there. And they should be an attacking juggernaut. But I've said before, I think the reason they're not is, is Cristiano Ronaldo. Because he does not do anything other than score goals, you do spend large parts of your game playing with 10 men. And I get that it's disappointing that they haven't qualified. Look, he did score six goals in the qualifiers. But from a performance point of view, he was awful against Ireland. And awful against Serbia. Back-to-back games. Dreadful performances. He was really poor against Ireland in the first game. He just scored late on. Which is what we've seen of him at Manchester United. And if you do look at their team and say, okay, well, what would a front three of João Felix... Let's say João Felix and André Silva with Bernardo Silva just behind them. And then you go Bruno, 
and Sanchez as your box-to-box players, Neves in that deepest role, and two really attacking fullbacks. Like, to me, that's a better balanced team than when they have to try and incorporate Cristiano and everybody has to alter their games. You could, of course, play Bruno as the 10 and play Bernardo as more of an 8, which is obviously the role he plays for City. But Bernardo, Ruben Neves and Renato Sanchez as a midfield three would be really, really strong. And a front three with Bruno behind Joe Felix and Andre Silva, again, would be really, really strong. I don't know that Fernando Santos is the issue there. I mean, this is the guy that won them the European Championships. Now, let's remember, when they won the European Championships, it is one of the great flukes of all time. They were dreadful in the group, scraped their way through, and didn't really impress anybody. Um, Got to the knockout stage, and then they started to play a, a better brand of football, but you know, in that group stage, they were horrible to watch. Hungary and Iceland finished above them. They came through third, having drawn their three games. Uh, Cristiano was atrocious through the group stage. You go into the knockouts. They beat Croatia after extra time. They beat Poland on penalties. Then they beat Wales. So Croatia, sorry, it's not really a tough run. Then they beat France in the final after extra time, again, Cristiano not on the pitch, and he hadn't exactly played well. He was poor against Croatia. He was a non-factor against Poland. He did play well against Wales in the semi-final, but it's Wales. With due respect, they're not exactly a footballing powerhouse. Um, And he was off the pitch when they won the final. But they defended their way to that that, that tournament win. I don't know that Santos is the issue. If they do draw too many games, that's absolutely absolutely clear. But they don't lose many games. And he lost 15 of his 95 in charge. He's never been a manager that loses a lot of games. He doesn't play the most attractive football. There's no, no way around that. But he is still a good manager. He did win the, the Nations League as well, obviously, which you know you can take it or leave it. But something's going to have to give, and in all likelihood, it will be the manager. It won't be Cristiano because there's nobody's, nobody's going to take him on. Nobody's going to risk rocking the boat and having him have his temper tantrum. Um, she'd probably end up turning the whole country against herself. I will say, though, that the goalkeeping selections in the Portuguese squad baffle me. Rui Patricio is still a good goalkeeper, but he has declined. Jose Sa, he's having an okay time at Wolves, but he's not a good goalkeeper. And neither does Diogo Costa of Porto. Uh, Rui Silva and, and Anthony Lopez are much better than the latter two and should be in the squad. Um, but I digress. Let's move on. Actually, you know what? Let's take a break. When we come back, we've got Premier League news and we've got gossip. See you in a minute. Right, folks, welcome back. So the big Premier League news is that Dean Smith is the new Norwich City manager. Norwich confirmed it this morning. News broke over the weekend that he had agreed a contract and was to fly back from America where he had been taking some time after leaving Aston Villa. I I like this appointment because I do like Smith as a manager. Now, there are some concerns. The biggest concern is that it's only a week since he left Aston Villa. That, to me, is a big concern. I would worry about that because he put so much into that job that it just seems to me like he could have done with a little bit of time away from the game. Not a long time, just a couple of months maybe to completely recharge his batteries. But he wants to get back on the horse straight away. He's obviously hurt by what happened at Villa. 
because that was his boyhood club, the club he dreamed of playing for, never got to accomplish that. Club he dreamed of managed managing finally does that. Takes them over in a bad situation, 14th in the championship, going nowhere. They become a championship club. Aston Villa, who are one of the great clubs in England, had become a championship club. They were going nowhere. The football was largely terrible. Uh, they had Jack Grealish not developing, stagnating. And, and in truth, Jack Grealish playing at a championship level. That's what he was playing at, was championship level. Smith took over and immediately turned things around. Gets them promoted in his first season. Breaks a club record with 10 successive victories. A record that dates that was 109 years old. And gets them into the playoffs and brings them up. And you have to be hugely impressed because in the playoffs... In the playoff final, they beat Derby County under Lampard, who'd beaten Bielsa's Leeds. And Derby were seen as the outright favourites to win that game. But Smith had momentum. He had confidence. Players were up. And they beat Derby 2-1. So they come up into the Premier League and they spend a lot of money and most of it badly. Most of it badly. Jota, Wesley, Courtney House, Tyron Mings, Bjorn Engels. Marvellous in the camp, but this is badly spent money. They stay up by the skin of their teeth. They stay up because Hawkeye fails. And because they had a good last four-game run. They stayed up. And look, you stay up, you stay up. Sheffield, not Sheffield United, Bournemouth went down instead of them. Bournemouth went down having had a horrendous run to end the season. So while they may complain and different things, they should never have put themselves in a situation to get relegated anyway. That's the be-all and end-all of it. If if Bournemouth hadn't had such a horrendous run at the end of the season, they wouldn't have gone down. Bournemouth only had themselves to blame. Last season... They spent money better. They brought in Matty Cash, Ollie Watkins, uh, Emmy Martinez, Bert Traore. And they became a solid mid-table team. The second half of the season was concerning. They had a bad run of form. But they were a solid mid-table team. This season, Grealish goes. They bring in Buendia, Bailey and Ings. And bring back Ashley Young. None of them have worked so far. Ings has had moments and he's done okay. Bailey has had moments and he's done okay. Buendia has flat out been bad and, and Young has been really poor. But Young is 36 and was only really brought back to be a utility squad player and has been forced into playing positions that don't suit him and he doesn't have the legs for anymore. Buendia, Smith didn't really seem to know how to use him, which is weird because you would have thought he would have just dropped him in where Grealish was. But because he'd also bought Danny Ings, as well as Leon Bailey, he had to try and figure out how to fit them all in. Now, the problem arose with a lack of a tactical plan, a lack of a go-to. When give it to Jack and hope for the best wasn't there anymore, Villa didn't seem to know what to do with the ball. Now, they have had some injuries, but I do think he has been far too loyal to some bad players. I think he's been far too loyal to his captain. I think Tyron Mings is a bad centre-back. I think at Premier League level, he is unsuited to playing for a team who wants to challenge for Europe. I think if you played a nice deep bank of four with a four in front and it was just head it, kick it, don't think about anything, I think Mings would be fine. Mings's issues tend to come from, you know, he's asked to defend big spaces. He gets lost. When he's asked to play out from the back, he makes mistakes. Now, I look at Matt, Matt Law, uh, who's generally a big 
proponent of all things British. He said, if you look at, so somebody replied to him and said, hopefully Smith takes proper care of Billy Gilmore or Chelsea should just recall him. And Matt Law says, if you look at his work with Grealish, who did improve under him without question, John McGinn, who also improved. Then he throws in Mings as if none of us had noticed. Mings did not improve under under uh, Dean Smith. He was bad when he signed him. He was bad. He's still bad now. Uh, Watkins, yeah, he had a good season last year. Look at him this year. Esri Conza, yeah, good work there. Matty Cash, I don't think we've seen the best of Matty Cash yet. I think he was, I still think he was a better player at Forest. But I have seen certain signs this season of a little bit more of a license to get forward. A little bit more confidence in themselves. And then he mentions Jacob Ramsey, who's obviously a young academy player who's only played a little bit. Um, you look at Watkins, how good he was last year, and the failure to find a way to make it work with him and Ings so far this year. The failure to properly come up with a system, a setup, a style of play, automations, patterns, build good habits. None of this has happened at Villa this summer, and that's concerning. Now, he is a good manager, and I think if given time, he will do good things at Norwich. My expectation is he's been given a two-and-a-half-year contract because they know the first half is basically just them going down, and then he has two seasons. They'll be pretty well positioned to come back up because it's a good squad at Norwich. There's a lot of talent there. But it does need some more help in some areas. Now, in the summer, they obviously brought in Rashika. Rashika is the type of player you can, to an extent, build your team around. You won't, it'll put a ceiling on you. You won't ever be a top half Premier League team or anything like that. But he could be the type of player you could build a team around to stay up. Angus Gunn, I still like. I know he, he's had some bad times in the Premier League, but I still do like him. I think there's a, a talented goalkeeper there. Uh, Flynn Clark is a young attacking midfielder that they brought in from Peterborough. Very highly regarded. Kenny Coker is a young striker they brought in from South End. Again, highly regarded. Someone that maybe in a couple of years will be able to help along with Clark. Giannolis is a, is a decent attacking left back. And we know he likes to let his fullbacks push on. He'll have Max Ahrens at right back. He'll have Giannoulis, Giannoulis at left back. So that's those two positions boxed off. You'd assume Tim Krul stays as the goalkeeper, but he does have Gunn as a decent option. Ben Gibson, he likes a left-footed centre-back who can play the ball a bit, and Ben Gibson can do that role. So you would look at it and say, in the ideal Dean Smith defence, he's got three of his four. The other thing he likes is he likes a pacey one. Now, Othan Kabak is the best centre-back at the club, and I will take no dissuading on that. But he doesn't have great pace, and he could still use him and Gibson. And I think that can work. If you play a slightly deeper line, I think that can absolutely work. His other option is Oma Bamadeli, who has good pace, is comfortable on the ball. 6'2", he's a decent height. He's still a little bit slender. You'd like him to get a bit stronger. But if he could develop him in a similar way to how he developed Esri Konza, that would help. That would absolutely help. Now, he used Konza a little bit as a fullback in his first year as well, uh, if you remember. Konza's first year, Engels tended to play centre-back when fit. And he did use... He did use uh, cons at right back. So he, maybe in certain games he pushes Matty Cash or Max Aaron's onto the wing. Oma Bamadeli could play play at fullback and Kabak could be the centre back. So for now, I would suggest Kabak and Gibson with Aaron's and either Giannolis or loan signing Brandon Williams at left back. Now he tried to sign Brandon Williams for Villa. So he may well be keen to use him as his left back. Now, his best stuff at Villa came with a 4-3-3. So what kind of 4-3-3 can Norwich put out there? So he used a holding midfielder. I think Matthias Norman is 
the best possible option that Norwich have. You look at the squad, it doesn't really have that real natural sitting midfielder. Norman likes to push on a little bit, be a bit more involved in, in the, the build-up play, but he's probably the best fit for that role. Lee's Malou is a bit, maybe a bit too attacking. You could see Billy Gilmore playing in one of the number eight positions and being almost forming a two with Norman in possession. A little bit like what John McGinn does. He he just sits in and he's kind of the hub where things come back and he distri- distributes the ball. So maybe that's where Billy Gilmore will play. The other one is the question mark. And he used a bunch of different players in this role, including Ross Barkley, who at times he used the number 10. So maybe he would go with a more attacking midfielder. I think you have to go with Todd Cantwell here. I think he's very, very talented. I, they're probably going to lose him on a free in the summer, which is a huge blow. Um, but I think Todd Cantwell might be the answer here. It's either him or Lise Malou. One or the other is your choice. He could go Lucas Rupp if he wanted a bit more physicality, a bit more of a box-to-box engine and a bit more ball winning. Um, but I, I think he probably goes Cantwell or Lise Malou. And then in the front three, I'd like to see him play Solis, the young, the young Greek kid, play him on the right and play Rashika off the left. The big problem is that they just don't have enough goals in the team. Now, Rashika will get you goals. And Solis, I think, can get you some goals. He got two in his, in his debut in the Cup. He isn't he 19, you don't want to put huge pressure on him. But if he's playing right wing and dropping out wide and Max Ahrens is coming forward and overlapping and interchanging with him, that could be really exciting for Norwich down the left. You might be better off going with Williams over Giannolis on the left-hand side because Rashika's not the best defensively and Giannolis isn't a good defender. Williams has, I think, the potential to be a good defender He's not there yet, but I think he's got the potential to do it. So, Cruel, Aarons, Quebec, Gibson, Williams, Gilmore, Norman, Cantwell, Solis and Rashika, either side of a number nine. But there's the issue. They don't have a real goal scorer. Timo Pukki has three goals in the Premier League this season. He's their main man up front, and he's quite limited up front. There's not a whole lot that Timo Pukki offers you at a high level. He's a decent player, don't get me wrong, but he's a limited player. Josh Sargent is a limited player. They're both hugely high-working. They will run all day for you, and they're probably both better with another goal scorer alongside them. The problem is there isn't a goal scorer at the club. The only one, maybe, is Adam Day, but he's not exactly scored a whole bunch of goals since joining Norwich. Only three goals in the Championship last year. No goals so far in eight sub-appearances in the Premier League this season. He's never been a consistent goal scorer for them. Talent is there, good pace, pain on the backside to play against, physical, but I'd be surprised if he went 4-4-2. I think he will go 4-3-3 and it's a 4-5-1 out of possession. But you just have to be a little bit concerned. The lack of goals, it's something they'll have to address in the summer. I would wonder if the, the players they signed this past summer, some of them have relegation release clauses. I'd be surprised if Norwich agreed to that. But Rashika and Solis in particular, I think, are definitely Premier League caliber talents. Rashika is a Premier League caliber player right now. Solis has the talent. The rest is questionable. Lise Malou, he's a good player. He's good enough to play in the Premier League. 
And I will be interested to see how Smith fixes that midfield because he probably can only play one of Lees Malou and, and Cantwell. Maybe he goes with Lees Malou under the, because of the fact he's under contract for the foreseeable and Cantwell is out of contract in the summer. Maybe there's where he, he puts the logic. But does he also want to be playing... If he's, if he's looking at this as a two-and-a-half-year project, if he's looking at this even as an 18-month project of we go down, we come back up next year, will he want to give games to Billy Gilmore, who he won't have next year? Will he want to give games to Ozan Kabak, who in all likelihood he won't have next year? Now, I could see potentially Matthias Norman agreeing to join them, even if they go down. I could see Manchester United loaning them uh, Brandon Williams again, if they go down, as long as he's playing regularly. But Chelsea, I don't think, will loan Gilmore into the championship. And I don't think as a championship club, they'd be able to buy Quebec. So, the squad is not as bad as the league table suggests. I think that's important to note. There are some good players there. Like, you've got three decent centre-backs in Quebec, Gibson and Oma Bamadeli. You've got a good, you have a really good right back, two good left backs, probably four good options in midfield. Five if Lucas Rupp can stay fit, because Rupp is a decent player. So you've got Rupp, Gilmore, Cantwell, and Norman, and Lees Malou in midfield. They're all good options. You've got Kenny McLean as well. To be fair, I did forget about him, and Kenny McLean might be somebody that he wants to use as a kind of John McGinn uh, substitute, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. So you've got six in midfield that you can use. You can use Cantwell wide in a front three. You could play Rashika on the right, Cantwell on the left, and maybe that works for you. But again, do you want to play a fella who's probably not fully committed to the club and where are your goals coming from? There, That's the big question Dean Smith has to answer. Where are the goals going to come from? Talent-wise, there are three worse squads in the league than this, in my view. I think Watford's squad is worse. Now, they might have the best individual player of the two squads in Ishmael Asar, but I think the squad is worse. I'd much rather have Norwich's goalkeepers and defenders. Even though I, I like Ben Foster, I'd still rather have the two keepers here, Cruel and Gunn, than Daniel Backman. Um, you look at the defenders, I'd much rather have the Norwich defenders. I think the midfield is about even. You'd give Watford a slight advantage in attack, but again, they don't really have a number nine either. I think this squad is better than Newcastle's squad. Goalkeepers about even, but better defenders here. Probably better midfielders here. St. Maximum, the best individual player. And Newcastle's one advantage over Norwich is they do have that number nine in Callum Wilson. You put Callum Wilson in this team, I think Norwich would be safe. I think their squad is better than Brentford as well. They've got better goalkeepers, better individual defenders. It's just a matter of getting them to work together. Midfield, I think, is about even. Brentford of Ivan Tony, though. And that's kind of the thing with this Norwich team. There's not that one player... And maybe Buendia would have been it had he stayed. But there's not that one player that kind of elevates everybody else around him. Rishika has done it in spells at Werder Bremen. But like I say, it does put a limit on what you can, what you can achieve. Um, I would like to see Norwich do well for the remainder of the season. It's a club I've always liked. I would like to see Dean Smith do well. This is certainly a much better appointment than Frank Lampard. I will say you have to admire the cojones on Frank Lampard. Wasn't offered the job. Didn't get past the first interview stage. 
but then leaked it to his friends in the media that he turned the job down. Didn't progress past the first interview. Two people did. Dean Smith was one and he got the job. Lampard did not. And then he ruled himself out. I think Frank Lampard probably doesn't interview all that well. I think he's probably got, as a manager, an undue ego. An ego that he earned as a player but doesn't deserve it as a manager and has no what no reason to have it as a manager. Got the Derby job because Harry Redknapp made a phone call for him. Got the Chelsea job because he's Frank Lampard. He's never had to interview for a job in his life. Think about that. That man is in his 40s. He's never interviewed for a job in his life. He's had two managerial gigs. One of them, his uncle got him. And the other one, he got because of his playing career. Whereas Dean Smith, as a manager, has had to work for absolutely everything. He didn't get the easy number. He got the Walsall job. Now, look, you could say, well, he was a Walsall player, but that was 17 years beforehand he'd left them. He'd been there for five years. He had a 16-year playing career. He's more known for his time at Leighton Orient than he was at Walsall. Um, you know, he goes Walsall for four years. Then he goes to Brentford. Does well at Brentford for three years. Then he goes to Villa. Works his way up. He hasn't had great success. But, you know, Football League trophy runner-up at Walsall. Won the playoffs with Villa. Runner-up in the, the League Cup final. But he's earned this. He has worked his way up. And yes, people will say, well, Lampard has a better uh, win percentage. Lampard got handed a Chelsea t squad worth the better part of a billion quid. Have a look at the Villa squad that, that Dean Smith took over. Just do yourself the favour. Go and have a look at the Aston Villa squad from 1718 and 1819. The fact that he got them promoted was fairly miraculous. Even some of the lads, his mistakes were when he got into the Premier League, he kept some of those players that had been in on loan and he bought some other dreck. But we don't know how much say he had, whether it was final say, whether he was the one steering the, the bus on those transfers. We, we don't know these things, but Dean Smith's a good manager. I think he'll do a solid job at Norwich. I don't think he can keep them up. If he does, he's manager of the year. If Norwich stay up, Dean Smith is manager of the year. But if they go down, I think they're well positioned to come straight back up. They've got a lot of talent there. They now have a good manager, as they've had before. Daniel Fark is a good manager. I don't think it's a drop-off in quality at manager. So, you know, that's kind of important. Um, my only concerns are the last few months at Villa were really ropey in terms of setup, style of play, what's our plan, who are we as a club. Some bad signings, but I think Stuart Webber will still hold the, the controls on those. And just how quickly he's jumping into another job. That, that to me, is, is the biggest concern, is how quickly he's jumping from Aston Villa to Norwich. Eight days between his sacking being announced and the signing being announced. And he signed the contract last night, so it was, it was just a week. A week between those two things is not a long time. Maybe he'll be okay, but it will be a worry if you're a Norwich fan that is there a bit of a hangover there from Villa? Is he going to buy Tyron Mings? If he if he tries to buy Tyron Mings, sack him immediately. Um, right, we will move on from there, folks. And we will wrap up with the last, actually, two little bits of news first. First of all, massive congratulations to Conor Gallagher, called up to the England squad to play San Marino. Um, this was announced over the weekend because... Grealish, Sterling, Shaw, Henderson and Mount will not travel. Uh, Henderson and Grealish have returned to their club for assessment on injuries. Mount is, was having dental surgery. Shaw has a concussion. 
and Sterling is unavailable due to a personal matter. Um, hopefully everything's okay with Raheem. Um, Gallagher's been brilliant this year. He's been absolutely brilliant this year for Crystal Palace. This, unfortunately for Palace, will only boost his value and may price him out of a of a stay at Crystal Palace. But this kid is is playing tremendous football this year, really tremendous football this year. And I'd be interested to see what happens to him next summer. Is there a spot for Chelsea? It doesn't really look like there is. They've got a lot of midfield talent, but. He is one of their own, so will they make an exception for him? Will they try and keep him and pair him with Mason Mount in a long-term, homegrown Chelsea midfield? I think that's a possibility. Um, you know, There's only a year between them age-wise, and this time last year, Mason Mount was only really establishing himself as a Premier League player as well. We forget you know, how quickly he's risen. That first season under Lampard at Chelsea, he was good. He played, you know, what did he play? Let's see. Played 37 games. I don't think they were all starts. I really don't think they were all starts. I think he was in and out of the team, on and off the bench. Last season, he did play pretty much every game. And again, this season, he's been massive for Thomas Tuchel. But, you know, you'd have to imagine that Mount and Gallagher were in the academy at the same time. They would have been in probably different age groups, but they were in the academy together. They probably know each other very well. There's been a lot of talk that Chelsea obviously want to bring back Declan Rice. So could they put the three of them in the midfield together and have you know that homegrown young midfield with all that energy and drive and want to play for the club? That's That maybe can override certain technical deficiencies that you might point out, but it'd be a wait and see. But for Gallagher, this is great. He fully deserved. He's been tremendous this season. And for England, it's great to have another really promising young midfield option along with Rice and Bellingham and Mount and obviously Calvin Phillips a little bit older, but more and more options, more and more quality. And Gallagher's a great sign to young players. Go on loan, take your opportunities. Don't just be happy sitting on the bench for a big club and getting a, a game here, a game there. Go on loan. Get that experience. Play football. Very, very important to play as much football as you can early in your career. Uh, the Premier League is closing in on a record-breaking television rights deal in the United States of America. Second round bids for the rights, which have been held by NBC since 2013. Are due to close by the 18th of November. The 18th of November is Thursday. The sixth season deal from 2022 to 2028 could rise up to 2 billion US dollars or 1.49 billion of the Queen's pounds, with NBC, CBS, and ESPN vying for the rights. That would double the current amount and vindicate the Premier League's approach to selling their TV rights, which continue to increase in value. In May, the Premier League announced that it rolled over its 4.7 billion domestic three-year deal with Sky Sports, BT Sport, Amazon Prime and BBC Sport to 2025. So off the back of the pandemic, obviously, they just took the money that was there rather than trying to negotiate a new deal. They secured that money for three years, 1.9 billion a year no it's not 1.9 billion a year it's 1.56 billion a year split between the 20 clubs just from domestic tv rights that's insane another 350 million a year from this american deal when that goes through it's madness the amount of money clubs aren't going to make as we go forward, is, is insane. Um, BBC Sport understands the decision was made in order to bring stability. That's that's fine. And that's basically that. That is basically that. Yeah, so they are hoping, hoping that overall TV revenues from 2022 to 25 could reach 10 billion. 
once all the deals for overseas rights are completed. 10 billion for three years. So 3.333 billion a year between 20 clubs. 150 million a year each. Whew. The rich get get richer. The rich get richer, folks. They just get richer. Um, right, we'll wrap up with the gossip and get done for today. Barcelona are keen to sign Timo Werner, uh, and they would like to take him on loan in January. That's something Chelsea might consider. Manchester City will resist any approach from Barcelona to sign Raheem Sterling. Barcelona don't have any money to buy Raheem Sterling. Sterling would be open to a loan move to the new camp, provided he remains a bit part player at City. City are also prepared to test Tottenham's resolve around Harry Kane. There's the move. Sterling and Cash for Kane. Spurs get, uh, let's say, 70 million in Sterling. If the price on Sterling is 50 million, which is what's been reported, that's 120 million. That 70 million could get Spurs... Duzan Vlahovic. And then they've got Sterling, Vlahovic and Son as a front three. Which is excellent. It's better than what they currently have. Because Sterling is right up there with Kane. And Vlahovic is better than any of the right wing options they have. So that's a front three that can work for them. They could go a different direction. They could buy a different type of striker. They could bring Tammy Abraham back to England maybe. They could buy Ivan Tony. They could buy Yusuf El Naziri. They could buy whoever you want. They they could bring in a striker and Sterling. They'll still have their centre back issues, but that that could solve their front line issues. Um, Leicester boss Brendan Rodgers leads a four man shortlist to replace Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Manchester United. Rumours over the weekend that he has been seen house shopping in Greater Manchester. Which wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me if Brendan took that took that move. Uh, he would see that. It is, it's the biggest job in the country. And he would see it as a challenge. But I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I don't think he can win them the league. I don't think he's good enough defensively to win them the league. He's not good, in, in, good enough in Europe to win them the Champions League. But he will make them a top four team. They'll be top four every year under Brendan. Uh, as long as what's above him isn't a train wreck, they should be okay. Uh, Garrett Southgate is close to signing a contract extension worth five million a year that will see him lead the three lines to Euro 2024. Five million a year for Garrett Southgate to be an average manager. Staggering. Former Rangers and Italy midfielder Gennaro Gattuso has unfinished business at Ibrox and made links with replacing Stephen Gerrard. So if I'm not mistaken, I think his wife is Scottish. I think he left. I don't think he wanted to leave Rangers. I remember hearing about how happy he was, how much he loved Glasgow. But he decided to go back. Or maybe his wife couldn't settle. That might have been what it was. No, his wife is Scottish. She's a Scottish woman of Italian descent. There was a whole big kerfuffle over when he left Rangers and why he left Rangers. Oh, this is what it was. Dick Advocat didn't like him and stuck him at right back. That's why. So Dick Advocat just sold him, but he didn't want to leave. Um... Oh, Rangers lost. Was AC Milan's gain in the end um but yeah it would make sense that he would want to go back there his wife is from glasgow he'd probably quite like to go back she'd probably quite like to go back so i think he met her in an in an italian restaurant that he started going to because it was any place where people spoke italian um chelsea's morocco winger hakim Ziyech could join borussia dortmund on in january only 18 months after joining the club he needs to move away the premier league's just not not right for him Sevilla are determined to keep Jules Kunde until next summer, despite interest from Man United. I, I don't know that there is interest from United. They need midfielders more than they need another defender. Tottenham are interested in Club Bruges' Charles de Catelier. He's been linked to everybody of late. 
Uh, Adama Traore is wanted by Valencia. They have no money. Uh, Portugal fullback Diogo Delot hopes to stay at Manchester United. Why? Why would he want to? He he's, doesn't get any game time. Dean Smith is... Oh, yeah, well, we have that. Um, Dean Henderson is looking to leave Manchester United after losing the number one shirt to David De Gea. Can you lose something you never really had? I don't know. This is brilliant. Former Villa striker Dwight York says he did not receive a response when he contacted the club about the managerial role before Steven Gerrard's appointment. So, Dwight York is 50. Retired from playing 12 years ago. Has no management experience. He has his level B coaching badge, but there's nothing to suggest he has his pro badge. Yeah, it's quite right that Villa did not respond to his um, inquiry about becoming the manager. Uh, Manchester United are willing to sell Jesse Lingard for £10 million in January. That seems fair enough. Uh, Barcelona manager Xavi wants the club to re-sign Thiago Alcantara. £40 million. We might consider it. Paris Saint-Germain manager Mauricio Pochettino would welcome a return to the Premier League. I think he's going to be on United's shortlist as well, as obviously... Apparently is Zidane and United are currently working to try and persuade him. Um, Barcelona are considering a loan move for Christian Pulisic. So basically, if you have a big money attacking player currently sitting on your bench, just be aware that Barcelona are currently considering a loan move for them. Uh, Inter Milan midfielder Christian Eriksen, hasn't, who hasn't played since suffering cardiac arrest at the Euros, wants to return to Ajax. Manchester City and Netherlands defender Nathan Aki is a key def- target for new Newcastle manager Eddie Howe. Which makes sense. They were together at Bournemouth and obviously Aki was important to Bournemouth. But it is kind of worth pointing out that even with Aki, Bournemouth's defence was a calamity. Like, 17-18, he played every game and they conceded 61 goals. 18-19, he played every game and they conceded 70 goals. So, you know, his two full Premier League seasons, just over 65 and a half goals a season conceded. The following season, he missed some games, but their defence was still... Tragically poor, conceding, again, 65 goals. So, I don't know that that's what Newcastle need. Really don't think it's what they need, but Aki might want to play for Freddie Howe again. Wilf Ndidi is on the radar of Real Madrid. I don't think that's true. Uh, Real Madrid are monitoring Paul Pogba. That one I could see being true. Chelsea and Real Madrid could go head-to-head for Bayer Leverkusen playmaker Florian Wirtz. Uh, Kai Havertz would be the cautionary tale there, Mr. Mr. Florian. Uh, stay where you are or go to, you know. Bayern Munich might be a good move for you. Um, Chelsea, probably not. Um, Chelsea are drawing up an offer for Arlen Chimeni. I love when I hear this, but they're drawing up an offer or they're preparing a bit. It's just absolute twaddle. Chelsea have made a £34 million bid for Edder Militao. I doubt it. Uh, Roma ha- are stepping up negotiations over Diogo Delot. Leeds have been in contact over Eddie Nketiah. He was there on loan before and, uh, and Bielsa refused to play him very often, so I doubt it. Uh, with Steven Gerrard at the helm, Aston Villa are interested in Glenn Kamara. So you're going to see every Aston Villa, uh, every Rangers player linked here's another one ryan kent is linked you're going to see all of these Ast- uh, rangers players been linked to aston villa over the next few days so uh, next few weeks so just bear in mind most of it is just twaddled to fill uh column inches arsenal and england striker following balagun says he is open to move away from the gunners to secure first team football and if i'm not mistaken he signed a new contract there 
only a few months ago, in April. So if you're open to a move away, why would you sign a contract? He would have been out of contract next summer and could have had his choice of clubs. It's just foolishness. It's badly advised by his agent. And then the last day's worth. Tottenham and Manchester City have been told they can sign Dusan Vlahovic in, Vlahovic in January, but only if they pay £70 million. Donny van de Beek has decided to leave Manchester United. This is from the spoofer with the catchphrase, who doesn't seem to understand that it's not really up to Donny van de Beek if he leaves United. It's up to Man United. Uh, Wolves are eyeing a deal for Donny van de Beek, according to Birmingham Live. Um, Manchester United put, put off a move for Tottenham manager Antonio Conte because of his £250 million transfer budget demands. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. They put off a move because despite what we read, they're not really considering sacking Oli yet. Sevilla target Jules Conde is a target for Manchester United. Sevilla centre-back Jules Conde is a target for Manchester United. And the Old Trafford club could pay, could pay his £80 million by a clause. They won't, but they could. Um, Barcelona are planning moves for three Chelsea players. Morocco midfielder Hakim Ziyech, England winger Callum Hudson-Odoi, and Christian Pulisic. So, yeah, any sub who's decent will be linked to Barcelona on loan. Manchester United could allow Dean Henderson to leave on an 18-month loan. Again, I have a hard time believing that. Juventus and France midfielder Adrian Rabio is of interest in Newcastle. Good player, nightmare team around him, probably not worth the hassle. Chelsea are monitoring Lorenzo Insigne. Please don't. Real Madrid will battle for Chelsea, battle with Chelsea to sign uh, Chimeni. He's been linked there for a while. Um, would make sense for him to go to Real and be the successor to Casemiro in a midfield three with. Valverde and Camavinga. Does it make sense for Ndidi who would need to go and start when they already have Casemiro who is a better player? Um, Tottenham have turned down the chance to sign Gareth Bale and Eden Hazard. Has there ever been a player who cared less about his club team than Gareth Bale? I mean, he is he only cares about Wales. He is the exact opposite of Ryan Giggs. Giggs didn't care about Wales at all, only cared about United. Bale can't be bothered with Real Madrid. It's all about the national team. Uh, Kylian Mbappe says he's happy at Paris Saint-Germain. Well, clearly you're not. You haven't signed a contract. Uh, Napoli want to agree a permanent move for Zambo and Gisa. Makes sense. He's playing very, very well. Uh, Fuller and Balogun is a target for Middlesbrough. Maybe. Wolves want to make Huang Hee Chan's deal permanent amid interest from Manchester City and Liverpool. I reckon that interest has probably been leaked by Leipzig to get Wolves to giddy up and pay what Leipzig want. And that is it for today, folks. That is us all done, all caught up on international football, on Dean Smith and on the gossip. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. So take care of yourselves. Enjoy your evenings. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.